You're listening to the Poshcore Podcast. Making a romantic relationship work is hard. Throw in a different culture, language, and it can be nearly impossible. On this episode of Poshcore, two couples tell their stories of how they made it work. I'm Siobhan Neal Stock, and I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Mozambique, a country in Africa that borders the Indian Ocean. Although I did not become romantically involved with someone from Mozambique, I noticed that quite a few volunteers in my group did. And a lot of them have maintained these relationships even after they moved back to the U.S. I wondered, with so much against them, how they did it. At times, I had a lot of trouble connecting with people in Mozambique. So how do you even begin to carve out a life with someone who is so different from yourself? So I set out to explore these stories from my own corner of the world in Chicago. While I did not speak to anyone in my Peace Corps group for this episode, as they don't live in Chicago, I was lucky to find two returned Peace Corps volunteers who had married people from their host countries. Jackie and Sajaki Matsela met in Lesotho, a small country that is completely surrounded by South Africa. Today they live together in the Tri-Taylor neighborhood in Chicago. They tease each other lovingly about their eating habits, among many things. Babe, you've got something in your... In the beard? You got it. No, no, and it's ish kind of... No, you brought it back. Oh well. Lord help you. <laughs> oh well. Jackie joined the Peace Corps in 2008. She's from downstate Illinois, from a small town called Monticello. I'm from a town of like 5,000 people, very white, rural America, I would say. She has two younger siblings, and her parents still live in Monticello. Her dad was completely against her going into the Peace Corps. Jackie did not know much about Lesotho before she went. Where I was in Marisha, my site, which I did not pick, by the way, I kind of just got sloppy seconds. <laughs> two other volunteers really wanted to go in the mountains, and I didn't care. So I was kind of like, put me wherever. And I ended up being in Marisia, which is a really important place because of Lesotho history. You may have to help me with some dates. Here's Sajaki now with a 411 on his hometown of Marisia. It's a historical town. First French missionaries in the country arrived there in 1833 and after the formation of uh, that nation, which is completely surrounded by South Africa, the priests then came as a way to, you know, there were wars going around in that area. So they came in as peacemakers. So they settled in Morija. Well, its history is such that it became known for its publishing, printing, and those are industries that are still very much in operation in Sutu. That's where I was born. I ran into Jackie by chance. At that point, I was living in Cape Town. But while living in Cape Town, my mom fell ill and she was dying. So I had to come back home. I was coming from a walk. There's a small museum in my town, and the curator, he's actually an American. We had just had one of the long conversations that we normally have when I'm at home. And I was saying, I think I cannot sustain being in Morija, lack of internet and so on. So he says, yeah, well, you can use our facilities. Anyway, I was walking down kind of a small side street and Peace Corps volunteers, before I left Morija, they used to get free news weeks. And I was back in Morija, so I had to struggle for the internet. So I walk down that street. There's 
white lady who certainly, by the size of her luggage, it was very clear that this is a Peace Corps volunteer. I greeted her. I said, do you have Newsweeks? <laughs> I had to unfortunately tell him that Newsweek magazines, since I had arrived, were stopped by Peace Corps due to budget cuts. I was coming back from the Capitol with, like, groceries. So, yeah, I had a giant backpack on. And we were literally, like, right outside my gate. So I felt pretty safe. I'd already had a couple of experiences where I was like, oh, gosh, I have to be really cautious. I'd gotten really used to being curt with gentlemen and just saying, you know, Dumela, just saying hello, keeping my eyes down and not really um, trying to encourage anything. So when he stopped me, I was like, oh, my God, here we go again. You said, hey, we should go for a beer sometime. And that really freaked me out. I just felt like it was a little forward and I was a little overwhelmed by that idea. I was like, hell no, in my head. But it did put a little like, hmm, maybe like a tiny 2% question mark about who you were and like, what is your story? (laughs) But Sajaki says this was not the first time he had seen Jackie. I think the second day I'd arrived in Morija, I was at the museum. There's this researcher. She's from Gabon. So it's me and the archivist and the Gabonese woman. We are looking through the window. So there's a road that passes in front of the museum. All of a sudden, there's this white lady driving a wheelbarrow with a giant gas tank. (laughs) We are looking there and making fun of her. Like, look at that. They, They said, oh, we've never seen this happen before. And then I said, yeah. I'm going to marry her in a mocking way because she was not there, right? I think later, that's when we connected that she's the girl with the wheelbarrow. (laughs) At that time, especially, I was like one of the only white young females around. And it was like, I'm going to freaking show that I don't need anyone. I can do this crap on my own. So yeah, I got my gas tank. I probably had someone help me unconnect it, but because <laughs> I could never do it. Jackie came by the museum's office to see Sajaki, as they had agreed to meet there. Probably I was with this other friend of mine, a young guy, who I used to play chess with. Guess who comes walking out? There's Jackie. Well, first of all, I think maybe I might have even forgotten her name. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know what was happening, but... I felt like she was being too forward. I don't know. So I tried to avoid her. There is a lot of avoiding that happens in the future of this story. Yeah. Well, this young guy says, hmm, I think she likes you. In front of me, and obviously I didn't get it. Yeah. I kind of like absolute no, no, no. After their first meeting at the museum, things got more serious for Jackie. And we ended up having this long conversation about monogamy. Lesotho, at that time, was the third highest HIV AIDS rate in the world. It kind of really came up organically, just talking about how important it is to basically have one partner. Coming from a really small town, I grew up going to a Christian school, and the multiple (laughs) concurrent partner thing was still kind of like, how does this all work and why? Polygamy is a common practice in some parts of Southern Africa. During my time in the Peace Corps, I heard about men who had multiple wives or girlfriends at the same time. So that's what she's talking about. 
that's the conversation where I was like, we have very similar values. He was not just some random guy. Like there are many that randomly will propose to you and say they love you. So that was really the conversation that was like the main turning point for me where I was really like, hmm, maybe this is something to pursue. Oh my word. So Jockey had another take on that conversation. It was a wang, wang, wang. <laughs> and what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> alert, it was, the other way. yeah, yeah. I'll be honest, it was just not the most stable part of my life. I was hoping to get back to Cape Town because mom hasn't died yet and continue with my life there. Now I was staying at home and dealing with my mom's situation. So time moves on and my mom dies. So I'm on a minibus taxi coming from Maseru. Maseru is the capital of Lesotho. She was sitting at the front. You purposefully got in the back after seeing me sitting in the front Yes, I tried to, like, hide at the back. (laughs) She's telling on me. It's true. That evening, after obviously my mom has passed, she sends me a text. Oh, I'm sorry, I heard about your mother. And, you know, unfortunately, we are leaving tomorrow for Kruger. And I think that would have been the weekend when my mom was being buried. Two weeks later, I am mourning my mother. I'm at a coffee shop. Guess who comes along in tow with her Pisco volunteers? I was really a real mess. She comes, talks to me, and then I moved. He hid from me again. Yeah. I wasn't avoiding her because I didn't like her but the space i'm in is a really bad space for her too she comes back to marija and i don't know how we got in contact and then we had a conversation then i said i normally take walks up the mountain i can go up with you sometime we can take a walk together and i was trying to be friendly and then we did we were Falling for each other. Before Jackie met Sajaki, she admits she was unhappy in Marisha. She wasn't really connecting with her community, and she was living alone for the first time in her life. It was just a really hard time in my service, and I'd even at one point gone into the APCD office and, like, just crying. Like, I can't do this. Like, I wanted to switch sites, and I wanted to switch jobs. He just helped open up a huge part of Marisha culture and life that I had unfortunately not been able to access, which was really important to me being able to stay. But Jackie's time was quickly coming to a close. When I felt that there was something happening, I hated the fact that after getting to know someone, immediately in a couple months they'll be gone. I could have left, but honestly, Cape Town fell out of memory at that point. Then I stayed. She got me to stay in Lesotho. I'm falling in love with this person, but how is all of this going to happen? I don't want to go to America. She wanted at that point to actually stay in Lesotho. I started teaching at a small university in Lesotho and thinking, okay, you know, she says she's staying. Let me 
station myself in Lesotho. Let me just make it comfortable for her. Because, I mean, if I went back to Cape Town, to Johannesburg, there was going to be a totally different thing about her immigration there. None of Jackie's attempts to stay in Lesotho worked. She returned to the U.S. after her service ended and had to leave Sajaki behind. So she was in America now all of a sudden. I was in Lesotho. We were talking literally every day on the phone. That was very assuring in my case. Jackie returned to Lesotho in December of 2012 to get married to Sajaki. I had brought a dress from the U.S. that I'd purchased. Ironically, Sajaki wore my dad's suit that my dad got married to my mom in. The funny thing about the day that we got married, so we did a civil ceremony, and they don't really do it in front of a judge per se, but they do it kind of last minute. You kind of have to sign up on the day, and then with all of our complications, like we were running around that morning, it was kind of a very last minute thing to make it all happen. They made it through the chaos and finally got married. Then it was time for Sajaki to come to the U.S. Since my family was not able to visit Suchu while I was a volunteer, he was this unknown figure. It was challenging for them, and especially for my father, and he was 100% against us. My father is an only child, and his mother is the matriarch of my family. She even wrote me a formal letter saying, we, as a family, do not believe in this, and you should not do this. Yeah, you knew this, right? I probably have it somewhere. I just felt like they couldn't be saying that to me without having met him. It was kind of a weird situation that they weren't able to meet him before we got married. However, he did visit in 2013 mm-hmm. for a month before immigrating here to just kind of ensure that this was a place that he could potentially live. And during that trip in 2013, my dad refused to meet him. My father, who had never flown, it all just had to do with the fear of the unknown. And he also had a prior relationship before meeting my mother. And that woman had had a biracial child. And we're talking the late 70s in central Illinois. He kind of had seen what that child had gone through. Jackie's father eventually got over his refusal to meet Sajaki. Guess who now? Who loves Sajaki the most? Your father. My father. My father loves you so much. He definitely loves you more than me. For sure. (laughs) We are certainly the best of uh, friends with him. We go back every month, go to Monticello to spend a few days, see them, and then come back. I make it a point that we go there. I make it a point because I feel that it's comfortable. It's how they have made me feel. If it went for that, I would say to Jackie, we need to find a place somewhere in South Africa to move back to. Because otherwise, I think America would be a painful place to be. I do have family here, that's for sure. In conclusion... I guess what this long conversation has unearthed is that we have a lot to learn from one another. And you never know when you're going to walk down the street and randomly find someone that you will eventually marry. (laughs) I think that's true. (laughs) If I were to marry again, who would I marry? Jackie.
Where's Chuck? Oh, it's fine. <laughs> Larissa Monse lives in Humboldt Park with her husband Julio and their two young daughters. Larissa laughs easily, and she wears her brown hair in a ponytail. Julio is a bit more reserved, but he opens up the more we talk. He flashes a wide smile whenever he talks about his kids. Oh, and a fair warning, at times you'll hear them playing games, crying, and doing what kids do. Nia, she's almost two and a half. Can you say hi? Hi. Nope. <laughs> and then the youngest, she's eight months, is Jelena. Like so many couples with young children, it's hectic. It's dark outside and the kids are hungry. Larissa and Julio take turns holding each child on their laps and feeding them. When I excuse myself to go to the bathroom, I spot a Cheerio on the floor from what I assume was that morning's breakfast. Larissa was a Peace Corps volunteer from 2011 until 2013. She served in Masinga in southern Mozambique. Here's Julio describing what Masinga is like. Masinga is a small village. It doesn't have a lot of educated people. Here's Larissa with her impressions of Masinga. Masinga was big in area size. But Julia's right in the sense that it's a small town community feel. Everybody knows each other, talks to and about each other, <laughs> which is difficult to deal with. But she says even though the gossip got to her sometimes, Masinga had most things she needed. There were a couple restaurants that we could, you know, go to. There was the beach, short drive away. Larissa was an education volunteer, and Julia worked in the same school as she did. When she first saw him, he didn't catch her attention, but this quickly changed. I met all the teachers at my school, but I don't know if you can remember, but it's kind of a little overwhelming right at first. Julia remembered me a little better than I remembered him. There was a month-long break in between the first time Larissa met Julio and when school started up again. Then one day, she invited him over to her house. He came over to my house and brought his laptop, and we watched a Lil Wayne documentary. <laughs> but realized then, you know, we had, like, similar interests. I said, oh, you know, I kind of like this fella, you know? I want to get to know him better. I would help her a lot in the school with whatever she wanted to help with. I started to get interested in her. I'm like, yeah, she should be the right woman for me. The two continued to see each other despite language barriers. The official language in Mozambique is Portuguese, though there are many other languages spoken like Shitsua, which, besides Portuguese, was the language spoken in Julio's home when he was growing up. We would talk in the little Portuguese that I knew and the little English that he knew and made, made it work. <laughs> I would help her in Portuguese and she would help me with my English. There weren't too many things to do on a date in Masinga, but that didn't stop Larissa and Julio. We would go to dinner or just get some drinks. I started to travel a lot to Nyimba and Mashish because they had more stuff to do there. Yeah, hang out with his friends. The two got along really well, but like any couple, it took some time for them to get to know each other. I said something, she's mad, she cries, I'm like, I didn't say nothing wrong, I just said the truth. With time, they got to know each other and moved through the barriers that had once challenged them but it was hard for one of them to say the L word in the beginning. She likes me and she wouldn't say I love you. Eventually, Larissa was able to say she loved him and even said it in Julio's first language, Shitsua. 
Zakaranza. <laughs> I, I, I love you. <laughs> it's often not one moment when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, but a series of moments, and they can fly by. Julio and Larissa were lucky enough to realize when this happened. When we were talking in my room at my house, and I realized that I had been more open and honest with him than I had with anybody prior. And I think my initial thought with that, like going into the relationship was, well, whatever, you can like me, you can not like me. At, at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm going back to the state, so if you don't like me, like I'm out of here. But he, he did like me and I did like him. And I said, wow, you know, I'm, I'm sharing everything with him. It's not turning him away. And I, I like what he's saying in response. And I can, I can see this really working out long term. I also see that she was the person that is supposed to stay with me because I have tried couple relationships and I had real bad moments. Actually, I started to have girlfriends because I had a job and she didn't want nothing from me, she just wanted me. Then of course came meeting the parents. Julio's parents both worked in the education system and he has four brothers and one sister. His parents were not too happy that he was dating Larissa at first. They're like, ah, oh, she's gonna leave you, she's gonna go back and you gonna stay by yourself, you better find a wife for you, a real guy that's gonna stay with you. They're like, no, you guys can't judge things like that, you don't know what she wants from me, so. Larissa had butterflies the first time she met Julio's family. I was nervous. My Portuguese is not that good. Larissa says the women in Julio's family are strongly opinionated, but she was determined to impress them. I remember Julio telling me that his dad was impressed with American helping cleaning dishes and <laughs> trying to cook. I mean, you did impress them a lot because you do think that even people from there, like girls usually, they don't do, like help in the house and... Larissa's family had mixed reactions when they first heard about Julio. Some people were fully supportive, and some people said, well, right, isn't that why you, you went to Africa to find yourself a husband? Which started an argument. <laughs> but, you know, after some time and realized that we were serious, they kind of were a little more sympathetic. The day before Larissa left Mozambique, Julio proposed to her, but first he asked her father's permission. We're both, I would say, pretty simple people in general, not too romantic or anything, but we were in love. We knew we wanted to get married and spend the rest of our lives together. My dad was interested in visiting, so I said, well, you know, like, I got this guy that I like here, you know. What what do you think about meeting him and his family? And so he came and we actually went on a trip, all three of us together, a road trip uh, to Victoria Falls. So they got to know each other. Like the first time when Larissa met Julio's family, Julio was sweating bullets when he asked Larissa's father for permission to marry her. 
was so difficult for me to go and say, hey, can I marry your daughter? I had to think 10 times, oh, how am I gonna start this? What am I gonna say? He was about to check in and I went there running like, hey, Mr. Steve, stop, stop, stop. Yeah, I, can I marry your daughter? I was like, yes, of course. Shortly after, Larissa had to leave for the U.S., and the couple had to figure out what the next steps were to try to be together. I stayed there for some time because I was still uh, working on my paperwork on my visa. So once I finished it, I stopped working. I said goodbye to my family. My family didn't want me to come here. Once Julio got to the U.S., they got married. Twice, in fact. The first time was in a courthouse. It was just us, my immediate family, my grandma. I actually would recommend anybody to do because there's a lot less pressure. You're, you're in it just for you two, and that seems to be what you should be in it for. Then the following year, in December, we had, had the party. We, we invited his family, uh, the rest of our extended family, friends, had it at a church, and then had the reception at a hotel where we could enjoy the night away, and we did have a good time. We had so much fun. We had our own playlist, like all music we were listening to in my car when we were dating. It wasn't easy for Julio when he came to the U.S. He had to adjust to the culture, get used to speaking English every day, and find a job. That was one of the hardest parts for him. I mean, I wasn't legal to work that time, but I wanted to do something. Started to do part-time in a restaurant. When it became legal, we moved to live here at Humboldt Park. Then one day, Julio was in a grocery store. He saw that someone was looking for a house cleaner on a flyer when he left the store. I spent a lot of time there, like a year. I had this, it's a federal program. So I learned about shipping and receiving, and it's what I'm doing now. This isn't Julio's dream job. One day, he would like to invest in Mozambique. He talked about plans to bring tourism to his hometown of Masinga. Emilio... Julio's brother was visiting his brother and sister-in-law for a few months in Chicago when I visited the couple. It's his first time in the U.S., and he's seen the couple's relationship grow from their first years in Mozambique to living together in the States. I realized that she was a good person, and most importantly, she was in love with my brother. Although Emilio misses his brother, he sees he is happy here with his family. He's got his life here, so uh, there is no reason for him to go back. Of course, Julio still misses things about Mozambique. Family wedding, being by the coast. The couple doesn't see themselves staying in Chicago long term, but when or where they'll move is still up in the air and probably a long time away. For now, they are working on just teaching their children English and Portuguese. So there you have it. It wasn't easy, but both couples made it work. I'm not sure I could have done it, but they made it through, even with the stern letters from grandma and cultural misunderstandings. After all, There aren't really any borders when it comes to love.